Good morning. This is uh, day 95. It's hard for me to believe that I've done 95 days of revival talks. I did like 40 some odd days of talks on um, breaking out of shame and self-destructive cycles um, prior to that. So it's like, um, it's like I've been doing this for a while. Um, I don't know what we're going to do at day 100. We might just keep going. Um, at any rate, I wanted to talk about, um, I was reading Esther this morning, you know, kind of pondering some things. I love that story. I come back to it a lot. And, um, you know, there's always been an attempt to annihilate the people of God. You know, so we've talked a lot about people that have long backstories, you know, like I think even our pastor this past Sunday was asking, um, how many people have been through a major storm in your life and you know the whole congregation raised their hands you know and um you know that it was kind of funny in a way because it's like everybody knows what that looks like you know and then when we've talked about in the context of revival like what it means for us to um you know literally just be seated come into the place of doing of what we were created to do this whole thing of convergence and how all of the ages of the church are converging into one. And, and so what we have is that tsunami wave revival that's going to cover the earth, and we're going to do that one till the end. And so, so many things have kind of are converging, you know, streams are, inter, you know, kind of uh, cross-pollinating in many places because you see people coming together around the whole thing of what it means to reconcile all things to Jesus. And so... There's a lot that way. And so for many of us, I think on, you know, we talk about a lot on the way to being seated and kind of coming into the place of our authority, doing the thing we were created for. We've had a lot of wars and the enemy, particularly at threshold places in the journey, tries to come in and create as much distraction and disruption as possible. And so, and for some of us, you know, on our, in this whole convergence kind of journey as we're coming into this place of redeemed time where God has really accelerated things and time is being redeemed. And redeemed for me doesn't necessarily mean tit for tat. Like I'm not going to get the number of years lost with family over here or here like tit for tat. It means exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could think or imagine. It means that God's going to do things in one year that would normally take 10. And so that's what redeeming time is. And for many of us, you know, this is really the spring of our life. We're coming out of a long winter. And um, a lot of people have been on the shelf during that time. We can, a lot of us can relate to the story of Joseph, right? We've done the bits and pieces of things that we were created for but never really kind of walked into the thing, place where all of those converge and we really feel like we're kind of living out that wild ride and journey that we feel like we've been called to. And I think, um, like I said, for many of us, we're kind of in that place. This is an hour. This is a, a new um, era in the church where we're looking at um, basically unscripted territory um, we're watching the, ch the church change in its form and its function, that religious structures that were formerly, um, that have been built for, you know, eons in the church are coming down. 
And you see this remnant of people rising up who are very prophetic, very intercessory, you know, pulling down heaven, connecting to the agenda of heaven. And what you're seeing is the forms and structures are going and that the new wine doesn't have a form and a structure. New wine doesn't go into structure very well. And so it changes the face of the church and the way we do everything. And I think we're seeing that one um, happening even now. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that revival does is, you know, one of the things our pastor Jamie says is that revival changes everything. And so, you know, everything on every front is being changed. And we, and we have this feeling that we are in a very appointed season. And so that's why the Esther story always appeals to me. You know, um, most of you know the story, but I was reading back through the first part of it, you know, just how Mordecai, you know, adopts his cousin um, basically as his own child, Esther, after, their, um, after her parents died. And she is, she is marked by favor from the very beginning of the equation. I kind of saw that whole, she was so marked by favor. It says that she was, um, that from the very beginning, let's see, it said, basically, um, he, uh, I can't find the exact spot, but, ba you know, basically, I, you know, uh, Xerxes fell in love with her immediately. And she had, everyone gave her special treatment in the very beginning. Like she, she was marked by favor and favor is that thing that gets us into places that we can't get on our own. I mean, she was a Jew and the exile and the fact that she would be in the king's palace was such a setup. It's like, you know, it's happening with a lot of us. We're going to end up in places that we could never credential ourselves into, that we could never actually, um, it, we don't even belong there. And so I think a lot of people are going to end up in places they don't really belong. They don't have the credentials for, they aren't prepared for. Um, certainly, she never knew that this was part of her destiny. But I think that God is unlocking parts of our destiny that, and, and part of that, there are some surprises as far as the things that we've been carrying in terms of ministries. I think some of us are going to end up in places we never thought we would, things that we have never been able to conceive, things that feel like they're outside of our wheelhouse even. And so that's part of God just taking the least of these. And um, I feel like that's the ones he's going to demonstrate a lot of glory through. And so if you feel unprepared, uncredentialed, and like you're way outside your wheelhouse in the next season, um, it's probably, uh, that's all Jesus. But at any rate, in this story, um, you know, it says that, you know, first Mordecai had uh, uncovered a plot by the eunuchs that they wanted to kill King Xerxes. And so automatically he gets written into the, you know, journal of the king, into the log, so to speak, at that what he did um, was incredible and he gets marked in history, which that's gonna come back up later, of course, right? So Mordecai has a lot of favor as well. In fact, we know the end of the story, he has a ton of favor. And they're at a juncture where Haman comes into power and Mordecai refuses to bow to him. And so, you know, Haman um, and the system, many of us have found ourselves in a place where we have we refuse to bow to religion. We're not going to bow to any system. We're kind of all out there in terms of not making any excuses about who we are and what we carry as far as the kingdom. 
And we're not yielding to a world system. We're not going to worship the world system. We are ambassadors of heaven who are walking revivals and habitations of the kingdom. And we are here to literally dispense revival and be conduits of revival wherever we are. And so Mordecai won't bow. And so Haman decides not only to try to wipe out Mordecai, but he wants to wipe out the entire um, race of Jews that are living in the land during that time because he finds out, well, Mordecai tells him that he's a Jew. That's why I won't do it. So unapologetically, he tells them that he is someone who worships God. And, you know, we're, we have yet to see very much of what persecution actually looks like in our country. But with all around the world, there are other Christians who have. And there's a string of martyrs that have gone before us. There's always been a war against the things of God and the people of God in the kingdom. And there always have been martyrs. People have gone before us. Jesus isn't going to waste any, not one drop of blood that has been spilled by a martyr. And all of those things have become a tipping point in heaven where all of the things that have been sown through all the ages of the church, we are in a place as 11th hour workers, 1159. We are in a place to reap where we have not sown where other people have come before us. We're all really 11th hour workers in that regard. We're coming into a harvest that we haven't necessarily sown into, but it's for such a time as this. This is an appointed time for that harvest. And I love, um, you know, when Mordecai talks to Hester, Hester, <laughs> Esther, she'll kill me for doing that to her name. Um, Esther, essentially, she reminds him that you know what? I can die because at that point, if um, Xerxes had not called on her for over 30 days, and if you went before the king and he did not extend this, this scepter to you, you, you could be killed for that. And so she realizes that there's a heavy cost on going to the king when she realizes the plot that had been levied against her people. And so up to this point, she's been able to keep her heritage who she was secret. And <laughs> I don't think it's ironic that she came to a place where she had to actually own who she was and that she was strategically placed in that, in Xerxes' house, in the palace for such a time as this. It was a very divine appointment. It was a setup. And God has set the stage in so many places for all of us that we're literally, we're watching things unfold even though our story has a long backstory and, and the suddenlies that are coming have a long backstory, what happens is we begin to see as we look back that God really hasn't wasted anything and that he's being very strategic in this era of the church in terms of movement. Many of us are finding ourselves moving and, and, and to being relocated as you know the, the pieces on a chessboard are being kind of moved all over the place. There's a lot of transition and a lot of movement. And um, all of that is part of the strategy of heaven that God is kind of releasing. It's very strategic that he's called us to a people. He has given us a mandate and mantled us for the mandate. And so there's nothing ironic that about what's going on right now, okay? And 
And that is why we feel the swirl, we feel the war, we feel the storm around us, but it's not to be distracted. Um, but at any rate, so she tells him that basically she resolves within herself that she's okay with what it will cost her to be um, bold and go in to talk to the king. And so Mordecai, one of the things he says to her at the end is, it, came, it says, Hatach came back. This is in um, Esther chapter 4, verse 9. Um, and, told, and told Esther everything Mordecai said. Esther talked it over with Hatach and then sent him back to Mordecai with this message. Everyone who works for the king here and even the people out in the provinces knows that there's a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited. Death. <laughs> The one exception is if the king extends his gold scepter. Then he or she may live, and it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. When Hatach told Mordecai what Esther said, had said Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the only Jew that will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else, but you and your family will be wiped out. And then he says the classic line, who knows, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. He recognizes that it's a Kairos moment for her. This is a moment that is a moment in time where, the, where that is you know, she comes to a juncture where this is her moment to step into the thing that she was created to do. This is a suddenly and a surprise to her. She wasn't planning on this, but she has been prepared for it. And a lot of us, we don't know what we're being prepared for, but don't worry, the suddenly is coming. I love what he says here about who knows that you haven't been brought into this place for such a time for this. But before that, he says, essentially... Don't think that, it's, that you will escape the plan. You are not exempt. So what Mordecai is saying to her is that, look, God's gonna get what he wants out of this equation, whether or not you participate or not. And I think that same invitation is given to us. It's not a matter of whether God is going to fulfill his mandate to reconcile all things on earth to Jesus Christ. It's not, a, it's not an issue of whether or not he is going to get his way on the planet. He had, this is not a surprise to him that, this, that, uh, that we're in a place where revival is going to, we're in the tsunami revival that will cover the earth. We are seeing the beginnings of that all over the place. Last week, um, this a couple days ago actually, in Washington, D.C., Todd Smith and, and all, uh, the whole crew from North Georgia, we're in Washington, D.C., um, baptizing people, people getting healed, saved, and delivered. So it's not any coincidence that we're in this Kairos moment right now. I think that the charge in this is where are we going to find ourselves in it? In other words, when he says that to her, look, you're not going to escape, and God will raise up someone else. So there's this invitation we've been given. 
Ours is to decide what we're going to do with the invitation and the mandate of heaven that is on us. That we, Are we going to walk in the thing and, like Esther, not count the cost? No matter what this costs me, I am willing to do whatever. She risked her life going into the king. And I believe the same, the same magnitude of invitation and demand and mandate is on us. God is going to get what he wants done on the planet. Part of Jesus's inheritance is that all things are reconciled to him. He is going to get his inheritance. And he's going, he has mandated and mantled us to be a part of that. The decision that we have to make, all of us, and that's, that's to everyone. And I think that decision and that, man, that kind of invitation is going broad as people are being awakened to what God is doing in the earth right now. And essentially, we're, we have to make a decision. What are we going to do with what God has mandated to us? How are we going? Are we going to give everything? Are we willing to lose it all? Am I willing to lose my reputation? Am I willing for this to cost my life? Am I willing for everything about the way we do church and life to change? Am I willing to have the entire landscape as God prepares the heartscape? Am I willing to have him change the entire landscape? Part of why he is focused, I think, so much in this revival on the heart is because he has it's the heart that's going to give birth to everything else. If he has our heart, then everything else will flow from that place. He's been very jealous about um, captivating us, about getting our heart. I think that's why people walk into a baptismal pool. And even though a lot of them need healing in their bodies, the first thing they're coming for is to seek God's face. The thing that draws them is, I just want more. I've talked to a lot of people um, that I feel like that God has, you know, awakened as for such a time as this. It's their Kairos moment. And across the board, people that have done whatever they've done for 20 years and recognize that they weren't in the thing that God really had created them to do, even if parts of what they were doing was, they all have a very similar thing that I, that I hear people say, and that's this. Whatever I'm doing from this point forward in my life, I want God on it. I've done that, been there. I've done religion. I've done church. I've done all of the things out there, and I don't want anything else at this juncture in my life except that which God is on. What is he breathing on? What do you want? Uh, what is he doing? And so there is... This awakening that God is doing, that is, he's awakened us to participate with him and awakened our heart in such a way that we we want to do what he's doing. We want to be where he is. We want to go where he's going. And so we can't live in a religious structure and we can't follow religion in order to do that. This isn't something we can manage. We can't manage God anymore. And that's what religion does, is it tries to manage the things of God. It manages what Holy Spirit's doing. And what happens in that is that the form is still in place, but the function of the Holy Spirit has moved down the road. And so no longer are we, we've created a form that God's not in, 
But essentially, what God is doing is that we need to follow the function of the Holy Spirit. We need to follow what he's doing because he's not living in old forms. He's not in a old religious structure that demands that we basically what? Manage everything. The Holy Spirit is moving in a way that can't be managed. He is leading us into unfamiliar territory, unscripted territory, which makes a lot of us feel radically insecure and because we're so used to having every part of our life planned out and managed. We're not used to unscripted. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm, you know, my joke with my wife, and she knows this really well, is I'm the guy, you know, you have two sons. One says he'll do it and walks away and doesn't. Then you have one that says no, and then he turns around and does it. I tend to be that guy. And I kick and scream along the way as God confronts my heart with his agenda and I yield mine to him. If we want to live an unscripted life and we want to live and flow in what God is doing, we have to be in a place where we can listen and respond. We have to be a people who pray without ceasing. We have to be a people who are very prophetic and intercessory driven and oriented. We don't pull down the mandate of heaven without having a relationship with the one who is issuing the mandate. And so what God is cultivating as he is recapturing our heart and kind of returning us into this place of our first love, he's awaking us in a way that we want all we want is him all we want is more of him and we don't really care what it looks like we don't care how messy it gets we're not worried about trying to keep everything exactly managed in our life at all this is not a place of managed life this is a pl place of surrendered life where we're willing to do whatever and we're going to follow whatever Jesus is doing. And so the mandate for such a time as this is that this is our Kairos moment. This is our juncture where we decide, because here's the part of that that I think is kind of challenging. God's gonna do it with or without you and me. We can decide to embrace what it means to let go of every agenda, to follow after him, to seek his face, and to go after him and everything that he wants. And without me trying to dictate, with me letting go of everything that I have as my own agenda and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Here am I, here am I. If we're in any other posture besides here am I, God's going to get it done regardless. And my thing is, I'm not letting, I am not going to be bypassed. I will not have, I'm not going to have God go around me to get it done. And he will go around and he will move people out of way. And there are people in the, even in the structures that will come down. Some people are going to be raised up. Others are going to be pulled out. And the ones that don't follow aren't willing to yield to what the Holy Spirit is doing, I think will find themselves moved out of the way. One way or another, they won't be in the equation. So it really is, 
usually a remnant. I think the invitation is a broad invitation. It's a to whosoever will follow me invitation. But that I don't want someone else to do something that has been relegated to me. You and me are a unique expression and we have a unique mandate on the planet. And God is into the mandate and that's why he's mantled us. And the mandate is heavier than anything we can imagine. And for many of us, he's moving heaven and earth right now to pull you into the place that you were created for, for this time, for such a time as this. This is a Kairos moment in time where God is shifting everything and bringing us into the place that he's prepared us for. Even if we feel remotely unprepared, he has prepared us. And it doesn't matter how unprepared we feel. He is going to meet us as we come after him. He is looking for the whosoever wills and the least of these. Those that don't have it scripted, who are willing to run with him. And there are going to be a lot of people that God raises up that people look at and they think they have no business being in that spot. It's because they said yes. It's because they said yes. So Jesus, we give you our unqualified yes today. And we say, for such a time as this, we will step into the thing that you've created us to do. And we will not be bypassed. We are willing to have you wreck us and unhinge us completely. And the thing that you're doing, that you would unhinge us for you, that you would captivate us in such a way that we will be forever changed. And we say yes to the wild ride and the adventure that you've called us to. And we'll go where you go, we'll do what you do, and we'll say what you say. All we want is you. So here we are. Here I am. Blessings, guys.